Chapter Four of the Master Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. The Master Mystery by John W. Gray and Arthur B. Reeve. Chapter Four. At a motion from the automaton, a dark-skinned Madagascan stepped forward and lighted the five candles. At once, a dense smoke began drifting from the candles. The men looked at one another, showing an uncomfortable fear of what the negro and the automaton were doing. Even the negro edged away fearfully, and all crouched back, afraid of the fumes. A moment later, the automaton, with a mighty blast of air, snuffed all the candles at once, then, without a word, picked up the candlestick and stalked off through the passage on the opposite side of the den from the entrance the passage that led to the graveyard of genius. A few moments later the secret rock door from this passage into the graveyard swung open and the automaton stalked in, going carefully, noiselessly now. Across the floor he walked to the steel door, which he swung open, then on out into the cellar of Brent Rock and up the steps to the door under the stairs that led to the hallway of the great house. In the hall, the automaton halted beside a small stand on which stood a candlestick exactly like the one he carried. Quickly, he picked up the original candlestick and replaced it by the one he carried. Then he set the original back of the portieres and with a glance at the library door, turned back to the cellar, closing the door noiselessly behind him. Down the steps he went toward the open door of the graveyard of genius. Beside the door was the fuse box of the lighting system of the house. The automaton reached out and began rubbing sharply at the insulation of the feed wires. Upstairs in the dining room, Brent had by this time flung off his coat and was examining with Flint the curious model the adventurer had brought from Madagascar. Brent was very excited and questioned Flint eagerly. "'I tell you, Flint,' cried Brent at length, huskily, as he seized a pen and dipped it into the ink, "'the time has come for me to do what I have long intended. I am going to do now what I should have done years ago.' Brent started to write feverishly, "'Quentin Locke, I have done you a great injury about which you know nothing, but I am willing to—' His hand had scarcely traced the last word when the room was plunged into absolute darkness. Down in the cellar, the automaton had succeeded in rubbing off the insulation of the feed wires. There was a flash of light as he laid his steel hand over the two feed wires, then darkness. In the dining room, Brent and Flint, already keyed to the highest pitch, leaped to their feet with an exclamation of terror. Late as it was, Locke was working in his laboratory on the second floor of the house when the lights winked out. Surprised for the moment, he ran out into the hall. Already there was the butler, groping about with a candle. "'What's the matter, Quentin?' asked a breathless voice behind them. It was Ava, in a filmy dressing gown. Locke turned to vision a creation of loveliness in the candlelight which set his heart thumping. "'Nothing,' 
he reassured. Just the light short-circuited, that's all. I'll see. Just then the dining-room door opened, and Eva saw her father, disheveled and preoccupied, strive out and take the five-branched candlestick from the hall table. Nervously he began to light the candles. They sputtered a bit, and he turned quickly, still holding the candlestick, as the smoke drifted away from them all. "'Fix the fuses in the cellar,' he directed the butler. "'Is anything really the matter, father?' implored Eva. "'No, no, my child,' he answered hastily. "'Go back to bed. And, Locke, please don't let us be disturbed.' He was about to say more, then decided not to do so, and turned back into the dining-room. Again Brent carefully locked the door to the dining-room and rejoined Flint. He had placed the candles on the table, but noticing in the half-light that the smoke from them was growing denser as they burned down. The smoke drifted over as the draft carried it. Flint coughed and moved a bit, his hand at his throat. Brent seized the pen again and was about to write, when the smoke from the candles drifted into his own face. He, too, coughed. Uneasy, Brent glanced over at Flint. Flint laughed a bit hysterically. "'What the devil's the matter?' demanded Brent, with lowered brows, a strange dryness in his throat. Flint was now leaning forward on his elbows and laughing foolishly, stupidly. It was a queer laugh, and struck terror into Brent as he himself coughed and clutched involuntarily at his throat. Brent stared at Flint. "'What is it?' he repeated anxiously. "'Have you suddenly gone mad, man?' But there was no reply. Instead, Flint laughed all the more madly. Brent was more than startled. If he could have seen himself in a glass, he would have seen that he was already wide-mouthed and disheveled. Suddenly the smoke again blew in his face. He coughed again. His head reeled. Then, in a flash, it all dawned on him. He shielded himself from the candles, but it was too late. "'My God!' he exclaimed, starting up. "'The Madagascar madness!' Brent looked about wildly. He rushed to Flint and shook him, but Flint only laughed. He turned and moved toward the candles, reaching out for them. But even as he did so, his hand faltered. He stopped and passed his hand across his tightening forehead. Slowly over his face came a stupid expression. He felt himself going without power of restraining himself. His lips twitched, and he swayed. Then he began to laugh uncontrollably. Flint rose and clapped him on the shoulder. Then both laughed foolishly, loudly. They were beyond help. It was the laughing madness. Outside, in the hall, Eva and Locke had been standing, talking for a moment, when suddenly, below, they heard a terrific noise in the cellar. Involuntarily, Eva's hand clutched Locke's arm. Locke drew a revolver and, in spite of Eva's fearsome caution, hastened down the cellar stairs. 
About in the blackness of the cellar he groped until his foot touched something soft, a mass on the floor. He bent over. It was the butler, in a heap, unconscious, but still breathing. There was not a sound, not another being in the cellar. Together, Eva and Locke helped the now half-conscious man to his feet and pushed and pulled him up the stairs as slowly he recovered his power of speech. "'What was it? Tell us,' urged Locke. "'I... I went down to fix the fuses, as the master ordered,' muttered the butler incoherently. "'A huge figure, steel hand.' It flung me across the floor, the last I remember. He passed his hand over his head as though recollection even was too horrible for description. Locke listened a bit doubtfully, then sent the butler on his way to bed, while Eva could scarcely restrain her fears. Over to the dining-room door, Locke strode and listened. There was nothing but the sound of merriment inside, of uncontrollable laughter. Could it be that Brent and Flint were drinking? He dared not betray a fear to Eva. Instead, he knocked. At that moment, he could hear the sound of some heavy body falling. Then, more laughter as Brent, in his hysteria, struck the model of the automaton to the floor. With the model, unnoticed by Brent, now fluttered to the floor the letter he had been writing. But the madman paid no attention to that now as it sifted through the air and fluttered under the sideboard. "'Mr. Brent,' called Locke, "'please open the door.' Instead of an answer came a loud and insulting laugh, followed by an incoherent mouthing of words. Ava looked startled, blanched. It was so unlike her father. For the moment Locke was piqued, but he tried not to show it as he turned away from the door. "'I am your father's employee,' he said sadly, "'and it is his privilege, I suppose, to laugh at me.' He hesitated. "'Oh, but Quentin, Mr. Locke, I'm—I'm I'm so sorry. Surely he could not have meant it.' At the head of the stairs, Locke tried to smile. "'Don't worry,' he said, repressing his feelings. "'It'll make no difference between us. Good night.' They parted, Ava closing her door for a sleepless night, Locke to work far into the night in his laboratory until sheer exhaustion overcame his feelings. Meanwhile, in the dining-room, the two men kept terrible vigil hour after hour, oblivious of time, in wild and wanton laughter, maniacal abandon. A terrible blow had been struck, and reason was tottering on her throne. Two men had been stricken by an unknown hand, stark, stark mad. End of chapter 4 Recording by Roger Moline